Welcome to the Word of Christ, sermons from Pastor Sean Denzer, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Great Bend, North Dakota, and Peace Lutheran Church in Barney, North Dakota. A reading from Exodus, the 20th chapter. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder, and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. Dear saints, we've entered into the season of Lent, the time of the church year devoted to Christian discipline through fasting and prayer, and it is our custom to hear preaching on the core of our faith. So this year, let us consider the six chief parts of the small catechism as they relate to our life as disciples. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. There are six things that we believe as Christians. That's it, I think. Six things and you have the core of Christianity. Six things and you can begin to understand and grasp and apply the Holy Scriptures. Six things and you can tell your neighbors the truth of this world and of the world to come. Those six things are the six chief parts of the Catechism. The commandments, the creed, the Our Father, Holy Baptism, Holy Absolution with the office that preaches it, and 
the Holy Communion. These are the Word and the Sacraments of God. These are the source, the rule, and the touchstone of all faith and life. Tonight, we start with the first part, the Ten Commandments. They show us God's order for perfect human life. They're not ten disconnected, arbitrary, or minimalistic listing of rules. But they protect what is true and good and right about this creation, that which sin tears down, but to which the blood of Christ and the resurrection of the last day will restore us. The human heart resonates with this truth of God and his order for this world. That's what Paul explains in Romans 2. But the human heart since the fall also exchanges truth for lies. The conscience can get dulled. It can get suppressed. It can become warped by the voice of human laws or social trends or our peers. And that is why God wrote his law, not even in pencil, but carved into stone. Our consciences must regularly be freshened up with his law, made to be clear again, tenderized again even. We, dear disciples, want to receive God's order in a better way than we've heard the Israelites did tonight. We do not want to be the ones who tell God to be quiet. We want to be tested, that is, to be diagnosed by the Lord, because we want the fear of Him to be in us, and we sincerely want not to sin. We wish to be rid of crookedness and to be made orderly and straight again. So here, let us go briefly through all ten of these commandments. What does it mean? What is God's order in them? Well, the first commandment says that there is a God and that you are not Him. What it says about us is that we are God's creation. And thus, this commandment also relieves you of a very impossible task for a creature. Namely, you are freed from the burden of having the mission to save this world or to think that you are in charge of it, commanding it. God will do that. Now, even as we hear a great relief in this, immediately we see also how this commandment can prick us. Because our fallen nature doesn't much like the idea that we have a God who isn't me. I do want to be in charge. I want to dictate how the world works, and I want to be the center of the world. And reality, nevertheless, gets in my way. There is a God, and he is not me. But moreover, this God can be known. He has a name. That's what the second commandment teaches that there is a God who can be known and wants to be known, wants his name to be used. He's not a God who we are to speculate about because we are not the ones who invent him or who find him. No, not all religions lead to the same God, just as not all names that you might yell at a basketball game will get the right person to turn their head and look. God has taken the time to give us his name. But to have God's name is then to have access to him, 
and therefore to have access to all of his gifts and benefits and blessings too. God wants to be known and he wants to be called upon and that is why the third commandment follows. God speaks in many and various ways. He spoke to his people of old by the prophets. Now in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. And this is essential. Every false teaching about God that there is, every atheism, every indifferent person to doctrine, all of this arises from the notion that we humans could never comprehend or really claim to know God, if we even could know that he existed. With that idea, well, I suppose if it were up to us to find him in the world, it might be true. But that is not the case. We did not set out looking for a God who did not reveal himself. Rather, God is the one who speaks. He has made himself known to us. And he still has a word that is for us. Indeed, those who resist God, they don't do it for lack of God talk. They do it because God talks entirely too loudly. An unknown creator, that would be a, just a fine thing for a sinful man to have, because an unknown creator could safely be ignored. But a known God, a speaking one, can't be ignored. His demands, which is his law, these commandments, and his promises also, the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, these sound forth in his church. They're on the mouths of his ministers. They're on the mouths of his saints, proclaiming him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That means that our speaking God makes claims on us. And that he is telling us also that it is his will to sanctify us, as we heard in Sunday's epistle. And thus, God, his word, calls us to sit down, be quiet, stop working for a moment, and recognize him. Now, the Sabbath day may not apply to us in the same specific ceremonies as it did for the people of Israel today. But the sanctification the making holy that is wrought in us by the word of God, that still applies entirely. Now the fourth commandment next is the hinge, the hinge between God and man, recognizing that there is a knowable, personal creator who uh, speaks. That places us under his word, under his authority, also under his care, his order, extends even into our world. You know this. You are not your own self-creation. You have a creator. More than that, you also have pro-creators. Your belly button proves that. Every one of you have parents. And Paul says, we bow our knees to the Father from whom every fatherhood under heaven is named. Every authority is instituted by God, but in this world arises particularly from the authority of fathers, of parents. Here is the first commandment that is entirely for this world, and here is the first commandment also that we knowingly, obviously, and tragically resist. We hate authority, at least if it's over us. 
And that instinct toward rebelliousness, toward autonomy, being our own bosses, that is evil in us. Authority is God's design. Fathers and mothers are to exercise their authority, not for their own sake, but for the sake of the children who are given to them. And from this arrangement, governments also learn that their task is to preserve this world, not to exercise and gain for themselves power, but to use the authority given to them for the sake of those in their care, for good order. The most basic and first concern of authority is what? It is the life of those under it, bodily life. You and I are bodies. We are alive people. If our souls were ever freed from their bodies, well, that is not liberation. That is what we call death. And death ought not be. Good news, though, God cares about your life. He cares about your body, and He wants to keep your life going, eternally, in fact. But He intentionally puts it slightly different in this commandment, reflecting His order. Rather, he commands me not to care about my own life first, but to care for the life of my neighbor. Do not murder. Every commandment, in fact, is like this one. It is not about you acting for yourself. It is about an activity that is either toward God in the first three commandments or toward your neighbor in these last ones. The second table of all of the commandments can be summed up Love your neighbor as yourself. We must notice, and hear it again and again, that there is no commandment in God's word to love yourself. That comes all too naturally for our sinful flesh that cares only about ourselves. God's good order is different, however. It is not that humans be autonomous, all about ourselves, alone. But rather, we are to be set in order with others, in a very real life. We are not free to get anyone else out of our way then. Slow drivers on the highway, aging parents with their expensive care, infants that are inconvenient in our womb, or get rid of everybody by removing ourselves from the picture. God's commandment forbids that, and it protects bodily life, which comes from him alone. He alone, therefore, has the right to take it away. And God gives your body to another. He gives it to your husband or to your wife, if you should have one. God wrote marriage right into his creation, into humanity's design. Male and female, he created them. Therefore, a man shall leave father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Thus you have the order here in the sixth commandment, do not commit adultery, that may be summed up in this little verb. Be chaste. Now, chastity means nothing that adulterates. That is, nothing defiles or ruins the unity of husband and wife. Now, before marriage or outside of marriage, chastity means continence. Anything else defiles 
and dirties. But within marriage, chastity still exists. Chastity is conjugal faithfulness. Anything less defiles and dirties. To the simple focus of this commandment, in our day it is also necessary to remind ourselves of what Genesis 2 adds and to clarify this commandment, that marriage indeed makes a new household and something our generation seems to have forgotten. One household also begets more households. Procreation is not an accident of being intimate with your spouse or anyone else. It's in fact the very purpose of it. In fact, only if technology or if some kind of tragic human brokenness comes between a husband and a wife will that be prevented. God's order delights in making babies, pure and simple. And despising that, well, do the math. It quite literally will bring an end to true humanity. Now the seventh commandment reminds us that the word economy comes from the word for house. The Lord gives us not only houses, households, but he gives us stuff in it to be used by the household. Now, don't be surprised by this. It should not shock us that God really is a materialist at heart. After all, he created a lot of material, the whole world, the universe. The question is only whether we own this stuff or whether it owns us. Bodies joined to each other, bodies making more bodies, bodies living together among many households of bodies and working together as a community, that means clearly that we are made as human beings from bodily existence. All of the stuff, all of the physical materials that our physical bodies need and use, it's to be respected. No one is to deprive another person of it. Now, that's a very easy command to love when it's my stuff. Note, however, that God doesn't say, protect your own stuff in this commandment. He says, see that your neighbor's stuff is protected. Again, God's order always has love of neighbor, not love of self at its heart. And just as God has a name, he also gives you a name. He gives you a reputation. God sanctifies us in the truth, and his word is the truth. So also he wants the truth to be told about you and about your neighbor. This is the Eighth Commandment, which is about human truth in this world. Do not lie is a fine summary of it. But in particular, however, the Lord singles out the task of defending and even cultivating our neighbor's good reputation. If you've ever been slandered, then you know that what Luther writes in the Lord's Prayer is true. He names reputation among the many gifts of God. Because he recognizes that reputation is not something that you can make for yourself. Oh, sure, it's easy to ruin your reputation. But it is a very hard thing to forge anew or to repair if anyone, including yourself, has destroyed it. This is why God sets us Christians to a task of speaking well of our neighbors and of telling the truth 
particularly when no one else will. In fact, the Lord calls the church the ground and pillar of the truth. And lastly, the Lord protects something that seems so small, something that's related to what everybody thinks they deserve, happiness. That is that the Lord protects contentment. Now we split this commandment into two parts, uh, contentment and not coveting goods, and contentment and therefore not coveting relationships, ninth and tenth commandments. Admittedly, that split is a little artificial. But the heart of these two commandments is that word that we've heard but may not actually know what it means. Covet. To covet means to crave something, to want something that is not yours, not given to you. In fact, the word lust would be a fine synonym, except that we can't think of anything else but the Sixth Commandment. We already did that one. This commandment, the ninth and the tenth one of coveting, is the commandment that governs the human will. It has nothing to do with our deeds and everything to do with our hearts. God commands that our wills be set on Him, His name, and His word in the first three commandments. Therefore, we find are to find utter contentment and joy in what He gives to us and our neighbors also. Bodies, other people, stuff, and the truth. Every dissatisfaction that we see in ourselves at its core is another signal that we are indeed very covetous people. We are like Eve. We second-guess God's order for the world. We see what we believe is good. We ignore when the Lord says it is dangerous, and we grab it. So we see that coveting leads to many active sins. Stealing, or maybe adultery, or slandering another person to get ahead, or rebelling to become the authority, or hating someone and even murdering them, or just calling God himself a liar and rejecting him. This is how the ninth and the tenth commandments circle back to the first commandment. There you have it then. These are the ten commandments. And they show God's order and his design for a perfect world. Do they not? A world that is founded on himself since he's our creator. And indeed, it would be a very perfect world if there were no murder, no rebellion, no cheating, no stealing, no lying, no one discontent with what they have. And that is not the world around you and me, is it? It also isn't the world that is within us. Sin, then, is every thought and word and deed that is against God's order laid out in these commandments. The deepest, most root of all of these we call original sin. That is, the coveting or the lusting after what God has not given to us. And finally, what, that we lust after being Him. And this is why we are not saved by these great commandments. As we sang, the law has no power to justify, to show that we are right. In fact, if we are wrong, it only has the power to show us that we are wrong. But 
When the Holy Spirit takes the law, the Ten Commandments, and every explanation of them into his hands, the law does have the power to correct. It does have the power to convict and to diagnose, as Moses says to the people in today's text, to test them. It has the power to work repentance. And therefore, this repentance must also be joined to another word, a very different message in conversation from God. And that's what God recognizes. They are right in what they said, God said later, when the people recognized they would die if the Lord would talk with the law forever. He cannot do that. Rather, there must be one who comes with God's word in his mouth and yet keeps it in our place. This one must also undergo the punishment with the, which the law requires of us. And you know that what? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. The word in his mouth is the word of the gospel. A word that is entirely different and distinct from this law, distinct from these commandments we've heard tonight. Because this word doesn't say do, but it says believe. It isn't about what you and I do in love for others, but it is about what God does in defining love for us. And that we will joyfully discuss in detail next Wednesday. The Gospel, which is embodied in the Creed, embodied in our God who was made man, put under the law to redeem his creation and to sanctify them. Even so, we embrace and we love this law. We love these commandments. We gladly receive their correction. We desire its perfection. We do not abolish it. We uphold it. We recognize in the reflection we recognize in the Ten Commandments the reflection of what we are going to have at the last day and forever. We are going to have life with God, named, speaking to us face to face. And we are going to be joyfully alive under His care, bodily, enjoying divine fidelity, divine benefits, and divine truth. And we will truly be content then. These commandments are the form and the shape of perfect, ordered love. So we make our beginning in such love now, knowing that we are going to be perfected in it at the last day into forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to The Word of Christ. You can find more sermons at verbachristi.blogspot.com and if you have need to contact Pastor Denzer, you can email him at pastor at denzer.org. That's P-A-S-T-O-R at D-A-E-N-Z-E-R dot O-R-G. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Amen.